Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, New Leadership, and it is part of the New Church Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. So, uh, I think to introduce this series as we look into this incredible book that tells us about the nature, behavior, potential of God's people in the new era, in the, what we call the New Testament. You know the, the Bible's divided up into, uh, it's literally divided up into two, two testaments, Old and New Testament. Uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't truly tell the story. There, there's an old covenant inside the Old Testament. Uh, every single word of the Old Testament's not about the old covenant. So there's an old covenant uh, that was given, we're primarily interested in the, the covenant given through Moses, though there are many covenants in the Old Testament. Primarily we're interested in the one that's given by, by Moses. And then the, the New Testament, there's a new covenant, a new agreement. And so that's why we're calling this series The New Church. Um, I believe the, this quote from Glenn Burris best, de, best describes the goal of this series and the idea behind this series. He said, the most powerful tool for sharing the good news of Christ in the world is not a program, a special service, a booklet, or a flashy presentation. I know that's, that's sometimes hard to digest when you're in a service where you've had a worship team like this that does such a great job, they work so hard, and many people worked hard to make sound and lighting and all these things, and contemporary church, we're really into all that, and the the the, the Traditional church had other ways of producing excellence in their environment. So sometimes we, we, we miss the idea. We think that's church. Well, it's a manifestation of church, but it's not church. So let me read it again. The most powerful tool for sharing the good news of Christ in the world is not a program, a special service, a booklet, or a flashy presentation. It's a group of people who live what they say they believe, worshiping Jesus, loving each other, and caring for their community. In other words, a healthy church. We throw out our Christian terms like, um, I'm born again, I'm a child of God, I'm forgiven, hashtag blessed. We throw out these terms so glibly as evangelical Christians, but we sometimes forget to honor those who made it possible. The lawgiver, Moses. The prophet, King David, and the place that Solomon's temple played in the bringing us this new leadership in this new church. We need to lean into this for a lot of reasons. One thing we need to lean into is because we need to be empathetic with the first century Jewish Christians. We need to be empathetic to how it felt to them and how sacrilegious and disrespectful it felt to them to act as if Moses and David didn't matter. We must not do that. We must adequately show them, we must adequately ourselves embrace the new lawgiver, Jesus, and the new eternal king, 
Jesus. Let me read you three scriptures, three passages of scriptures. Matthew twenty-two forty-one. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, "Who do you think? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he?" The son of David, they replied. <clears throat> he said to them, How is it then that David, speaking with the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So Jesus is making the point. That he is the new King David. Then we can see in John chapter 1 verse 14. The writer John says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only one who came from the father. Full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying. This was he of whom I said. He who comes after me has surpassed me. Because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So John juxtaposes Jesus and Moses. He not only juxtaposes them and Puts them, shows them their roles, he puts them together as compliment, complementary of one another. Now I want to jump to Acts chapter 2, which is my main verse today, my own passage today. And um, please indulge me not to have to, to go back and really go through every bit of Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, but I think most of you know the story to some degree anyway, that there was this event You've probably, if you've been raised around church, you've probably heard of Pentecost Sunday, and you probably know something about the fact that that represents a time when a group of people, 120 people, dispatched by, the, the, by, by a, 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 a Jesus Christ who had risen and was about to ascend, who told 120 to go to a place called, uh, called the, the Upper Room, and, uh, and there uh, in the Upper Room they were to wait on the promise of the Father. And it seems from my research, maybe they moved from the upper room to the temple in order before the actual day happened. I'm not sure. But it doesn't, it's irrelevant to the fact that they went there and something shifted, something changed. What I want to show you in Acts chapter 42, verse 47, is I want to show you the result. Just, a, just five, four or five verses here that show you the result, what got birthed. When Jesus sent those 120 to the upper room, what got birth when they received the promise of the Father from heaven, the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, who are they? They are the 120 plus the people that heard a sermon preached by Simon Peter in the sermon by Simon Peter, the Bible tells us that 3,000 people accepted Christ. 3,000 people received the Spirit of Christ that day and were added to the church. So we assume that this is talking about 3,000 plus 120. Here's the result. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. 
and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good. they gave to goods, and they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't think there's anybody in the room who would say, I wouldn't like to be a part of a group of people like that. I would like to be a part of that expression. We know church is not always like that. How many of you have been around the church for a few years and you know it's not always like that? <laughs> but God obviously was giving us the paradigm. He was giving us the model to always go back to. He was giving us the pattern. He wants us to know that he, this is what he died, rose again, ascended to the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to produce in the earth. He could have invested in any group of people he wanted to invest in. He could have invested the power of heaven, the power of forgiveness, and the power of grace. He could have invested in a, in a, in a nation. He could have invested in a political system. He could have invested in a commercial business system of some sort. He could have invested in a civic club, but he chose to invest the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of grace, the good news of the gospel, the message of a soon returning king. He chose to invest it in a handful of people that we call the church. It's an amazing thing. Somebody say amen. When Christ ascended, there was a breakthrough. Something happened in the heavenly realms. When God's people prayed, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there was a shift of authority that started in heaven and the new kingdom came to earth. Matthew 22 reveals the king, reveals that King David was the warm-up act for Jesus. John 1.14 that I read a few seconds, a few minutes ago, revealed that David was the warm-up act for, or that Moses, rather, was the warm-up act for Jesus. I'll get my facts straight in a minute. It's kind of like when, 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 they send a, when they send a rocket into outer space. You ever watch that? It goes up in the air, and they have this giant booster that pushes it out of the atmosphere. And when it gets out of the atmosphere, the booster drops off. And that's what God was doing in the world. He took this big booster called the Law of Moses, <laughs> this big booster called the Nation of Israel, and you can understand the trauma that the Jewish authorities felt when the church was saying, we're going to let the booster drop off, and this thing that God started back in Genesis, this thing that God started when he said to the serpent, you have bruised man's heel, but but the seed of woman will bruise your head. This thing that I have done in the world is about ready to take off and go into orbit. But we're going to have to leave behind some things. How many, how many of you realize that when you, when, when, when you, when you want to grow as a person, you've got to leave some things behind? You've got you to make some changes in your life. You've got to leave some things behind that, that were important to you before. Some of you really re, you realize that as even coming to this church and becoming a follower of Christ. You realize some things you used to belong to, you can't belong to anymore. And not necessarily because they were evil, because you just don't have time anymore, because we got you really busy when you come here. <laughs> what Acts chapter 1 and 2 does for us is show us how to embrace 
the new priest, the new king, and the new lawgiver. So I'm calling today's sermon the new leadership. I tried, like, I tried for hours to think of a more exciting title than that, but I just couldn't. So we're going to call it the new leadership. In the new church that participates in the ultimate healing of the world. The new church, let's talk about, first of all, the new church as an expression of a new creation. The Old Testament church had expressed God's holiness, but were incapable of expressing his love. You didn't, you didn't go down to the Old Testament church and just go blurting out the sins you committed that week. No, you didn't do that. They, they didn't have any small groups where you just told everything that was going on in your life. I mean, I, I probably should close my eyes when I say this, but um, there's some sinners in this room. I've been here 32 years, man. I know some stuff. <laughs> I, I know some stories. That's, that's, why, that's why you can't kick me out, because I know too much. <laughs> I got some dirt on some of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean stuff. Adultery, yeah. Public drunkenness. <laughs> um, embezzlement. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you better watch, hold on to your wallet. But you can talk about that here, and we can know that here, and you're not dead. <laughs> because it's a new church. It's the new covenant. Jesus Christ, we say that so glibly, like, oh, Jesus died for my sins. You know, that's just like, we sing that every other song. They didn't have that in the Old Testament church. So they didn't go around blabbing what they, what they did on Thursday night or Saturday night. They didn't go around blabbing that. Because even, even, if, even though there was atonement, you still had to face the curses of the law. You still had to be stoned if you had broken the law. Well, everybody breaks the law, right? At some point in their life. The Old Testament church had preached the rules, but not built the relationships. They didn't meet in little groups and share their possessions and break bread in their homes and eat together with glad and sincere hearts and add, and add to their number daily. There wasn't any church growth movement. They weren't adding to their number daily before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What happened? What happened? That all of a sudden people could be living transparent lives with one another and begin to share their lives with one another. Something must have happened between, between the beginning of Passover and the end of Passover. Something must have happened. Something new must have been born. 1,500 years of Moses and the law, and I'm not disrespecting the law. I'm not one of those people that disrespect the law of Moses. I'm not one of those people that say the law was bad. No, the Bible says the law was good. It was just inadequate. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the last note he wrote before he was executed by Hitler's henchmen, wrote, the church, the world, needs a suffering Savior. 
1,500 years of Moses and the law could not accomplish what 10 days of an ascended Jesus could accomplish. By the way, the church didn't start in Acts 1. The church didn't start in Acts 1. The church was God's idea long before Acts 1. Uh, ecclesia is, a, is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, the Septuagint, of the, uh, which, is the, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Hebrew term quahal means assembly. And it's used for Israel. It was used to talk about Israel as they gathered to appear before God. It was like a general reference to all of Israel. And another Greek word uh, is translated synagogue, and it's also used to, to translate another word they use was eda, E-D-A, which meant congregation. And Jesus refers to the church in Acts chapter 18 in the context of being accountable to one another when we sin against one another. He said, he said, if a person will not listen to you when you've gone to them and you've gone to them privately and you've taken two or three with you, then you must tell it to the church. Now, Jesus said that in Matthew 18. So obviously the church, and then, then Paul writes in Ephesians 5.25, he said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when Jesus went to the cross, the church was in existence. And Jesus was up there dying for the church. This means that he was laying down his life for something that was already in existence. The disciples and the apostles didn't come to start a new religion. If you had said, oh, you're going to start this religion called Christianity, they said, we don't know what you're talking about. They didn't come start a new religion. They come, they, their mind was they had finally discovered Israel's eternal king. And they, had fi- they, were, they, were, they were revealing Israel's ultimate high priest. They were discovering and disseminating the news about Israel's ultimate lawgiver. And I hope we can unpack that a little more as this series goes on. And I admit this series is going to be a little more teachy than preachy, but that's okay. The Bible says that we're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all preaching on, on Sunday morning doesn't have to be preachy. It can be teachy just as well, right? Is that okay? That means Jesus died. He was laying his life for something already existed. See, you know, the church needed a makeover. It needed a new CEO. Someday, as, as, as great as I am, someday you're going to need a new pastor. Someday, I'm not going to cut it. Someday, I'm going to get up here and probably preach for like an hour and a half because I won't be able to stop. And the board's going to say, the trustees and the staff's going to say, it's time you quit. <laughs> so, I'm going to go off the rails somewhere because age is going to get me. You're going to need a new pastor someday. If you get you an, an, an immortal one, you don't have to get a new one. But, you, but you're not going to get that in this world. That's what, the, that's, what, that's what they got, though. And, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in the crucifixion and the resurrection. It, and it's no wonder that we do, because they're pretty amazing events, right? Crucifixion, resurrection, a lot happened in those two events. Your sins were, were, were dealt with and on the cross. and the, 
dark forces were dealt with during the resurrection, but we don't even talk about what happened in the ascension. I never hear anybody talk about what happened when Jesus, something happened when Jesus gathered on the hillside with 500 people, said, go, go to the upper room. And I'm always comforted when I invite people to stuff and they don't come. I'm always comforted by the fact that Jesus invited 500 and only 120 made it. So I'm going, I'm not so bad, you know. <laughs> but, but something happened, something happened in at the ascension that we don't talk about very much. And the Bible gives us a clue when it says the pattern of the heavenly things was, the, 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 the pattern of the earthly things was just a pattern of what the heavenly things were like. So we know that as there was an earthly temple and an earthly tabernacle, there's a heavenly tabernacle. And we know that what the priests would do, the priests would take the blood of the lamb and they would sanctify and purify the articles that were in the temple on earth and the tabernacle that they had before they had a temple. And so we know because of that, Jesus went into the heavenlies and he took his own blood and he sprinkled it on the articles of heaven. We don't even know all the that they are, there was a mercy seat up there. Thank God for a mercy seat, or we wouldn't be here today. He sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat, and something transported, something happened, and he became the, the new lawgiver, and he became the new king, and he became the new Moses, and he became the new David, and he became the great high priest, and he became the ever living Savior, and something shifted between heaven and earth. Let's quit ignoring what happened during the ascension. Church got a new leader. See, the Old Testament church or the old church had limitations. That's the problem with it. It wasn't evil, it wasn't bad, it was limited. In fact, what's, what's Romans chapter 8 talks about that. Romans 8 said the law was weak through the flesh. It was weak because of because it was man run, it was run by human beings. It was run by mortals. It was run by mortals, mortals who could go off the rails and who were limited, who were sinful themselves. Of course, limiting God was a pattern for the Jews. That was their pattern. Psalm 78, 41, yes, again and again, they limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power. Interesting, the day of Pentecost was a day of power. The power of God showed up. That's when you had those small groups that could share one another's lives and live in love because they had power. They limited the kingdom of God to the kingdom of Israel, but God didn't. Acts 1.8, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, they said. I said, no, I'm not limiting my boundaries to Israel. They, they limited the ge geographical boundaries of the kingdom of God, but God didn't. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him shall have, eternal, uh, shall have eternal life. See, what the Jewish people were interested in was a land that started with the Jordan River on one side and the Euphrates River on the other side. That was the kingdom of God to them. Aren't you, I'm like that too. I think really small sometimes. I think like this and God's thinking like this. They're going, if we, if, we can just, if we can just have the kingdom restored to this piece of real estate from the Jordan River to the Euphrates. And God's saying, saying you guys are too small for me. I plan to do something in the world. I plan to take over the world. 
Somebody say praise the Lord. I mean, you're supposed to shout on that one. Hallelujah. They limited the national boundaries of the kingdom of God. God didn't know. (laughs) Genesis 20, 18, all nations on earth will find themselves blessed through me. See, they, they... they had conveniently overlooked that. And, and that, was, that was God's word to Abraham. All nations on earth will find themselves blessed through me, your descendants, because you obeyed me. They limited the, the racial boundaries of the kingdom of God. You're going to see that Acts is a, a real inclusive book. We're going to see that in the weeks to come. They limited the racial boundaries of the kingdom of, of God, but God didn't. Hosea 2.23, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. You know, I don't know if you know it, but you're a Gentile. There's probably, there may be a wonderful Jewish person here, I'm not sure. We have had Jewish people in our congregation, but, but uh, you're, you're, you're a Gentile. So you are the, you are the one he's talking about. You're the one he's loved that he never he didn't admit it. He didn't admit it. He, he didn't admit he he didn't dare tell him very loudly. I got a group. I got lovers that you haven't met yet. I got people I'm in love with and people I care about deeply. But I need you to do a role for me, and they did that role so beautifully, and we love them and honor them, and we will always honor the Jewish people because of it. Amen. They limited the spiritual boundaries of the kingdom of God, but God didn't. Psalms 50, uh, verse 7, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. The limitations of Israel were a part of God's plan to include us. John 12, 39 says, But the people couldn't believe, for as Isaiah said, The Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. God's plan, folks, was to resolve the problems of a world that had gone wrong. God's, God's, it wasn't to abandon Judaism, but to give us a new world, a new king, a new lawgiver and a new temple. See, Moses and David gave Israel leadership, but Christ gave them lordship. In Greek culture, the term lord was the head of the household. When a Greek woman married, her husband was called her kurios, or her lord. It's a term that was as much about commitment as it was about authority. We have a lord today, and his name is Jesus. Let's talk about the new king the new lawgiver in the new temple. They're very interesting, the parallels between David and Moses and Jesus. And I'll get to the new temple in a minute. King David and King Jesus were both born in Bethlehem. King David is the only king in Matthew's genealogy who was called king. That's interesting. King David and King Jesus were we're both shepherds who love the sheep. King David and King Jesus were both men who were ignored and rejected by their brothers, but loved and accepted the new king. Remember when, when, when Samuel went down to anoint the new king, 
He looked at all of David's brothers, and he was getting ready to anoint one. No, God said, not him. Another, not him. Not him. I think there were seven of them. And he's like, God, you, you messed up today. You told me to anoint a king. And so he finally goes to Jesse, David's dad. Is there anybody else? Oh, yeah. He's out keeping the sheep. He had a shepherd's heart. And they go get him, and they bring him in, and they anoint him. And things didn't get any better. Then he go, oh, David's the king. We will anoint him now. You find it when they, when they were facing Goliath, and, they send, and he sends David down uh, to, to take them some uh, happy meals, you know, down to the battle. And David get down there. I believe it's Eliab, one of the brothers, said, what are you doing here? You're just nosy. You just want to know what's going on. That's only you want to just see the battle. Of course, they they were getting kicked around there by this guy named Goliath, who stood up, who stood up, and you know it's like they had these two armies gathered on hillsides, and 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 they were going to have a battle. They were going to have to go down to the valley and meet in the valley, and that's not a very good place to have a battle because you might be at the lowest position. If you get there first, you're going to lose. So nobody wanted to get there first and have the other army come in on top of them. So they came with this deal. They would they would have two champions, and each champion would represent the people, and whoever won the battle that day, some of you are getting ahead of me, whoever won that battle that day would, would, would lift the curse, because if you read the text in 1 Samuel 17, he talks about a reproach that's on Israel, because they sent this guy named Goliath out who's screaming profanities at the nation of Israel, and he's making fools out of them, and they don't have anybody willing to face him. They don't have anybody who's willing to stand up for the nation, nobody who's willing to be the one man who will risk his life to save the nation until young David comes along. And young David, you know, th- those days, uh, poor people didn't have any armor, and poor people couldn't afford a sword. It wasn't like you could go order a sword off of Amazon like you can now. You know, he didn't, uh, you, you had to have money to have a sword. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have any armor. He went out there with a shepherd's clothes on, man, and just a five, sto- five smooth stones and a little bitty slingshot. And he goes out, he goes out in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he recognized this was a spiritual battle. He recognized it was a spiritual battle because he, he, said, he said, you have defied the armies of the living God. He didn't say you've defied Israel and Saul. He said, you've defied the armies of the living God because he realized what was this. He realized this was a spiritual battle and he was representing, he was representing the kingship and the authority of Jesus Christ when he went out there that day. Amen. Amen. And and so so David was the was the was the type of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus does the same thing when the battle is now between God. It's it's now between Satan and Jesus. And Jesus doesn't put on the armor of political power and political might. But he considers himself, his favorite term for himself was, was a shepherd. His favorite thing to call his people when he walked in the, read the Gospels, read the Gospels. He never called himself their commander. He never called them his soldiers. He called them his sheep. He called them his sheep. And so it was a shepherd boy who went to the cross. It was a shepherd boy who defied the armies of Satan. It was a shepherd boy who dared, who dared the devil to defy the armies of the living God and defeated him on the battlefield and removed the curse and the reproach from every one of your lives.
why there's so much more here. Maybe the, the, the staff keeps telling me every week, you got to make a video to put all the stuff, like the 40 pages that you wrote in notes that you can't preach because there's not time. So, I mean, nine times in the Gospels. Let me give you this. Nine times in the Gospels, David was called the son of David. I mean, Jesus was called the son of David. That's amazing. Nine times. And it probably happened more often than that. Let me get to Moses. Moses and Jesus were both saved from a tyrannical, genocidal dictator. Moses and Jesus left the luxury and comfort of the palace to live among and serve common people. Moses and Jesus left Egypt and provided water for Gentiles. Go look that up. What's the first thing? He goes to the land of the Gentiles, and there's Zipporah and the girls there, and he went and pulled up the water, and he became a water giver for the rest of his life. Remember, he struck the rock, spoke, supposed to speak to it the last time he struck it. That's not the point today. The point today is he became a giver of the water of life, and he became a giver of the water of life to the Gentiles. He married a Gentile bride, as Jesus has married a Gentile bride. Fifty days after the first post-Passover, Moses brought the Ten Commandments down from, the, from, the meeting, from meeting God on Mount Sinai. Fifty days. Forty-nine days was Passover. Day one, they would, they would offer what they called an omer. It was a barley to God. And they would start counting 49 days. And those 49 days, they were grateful that they were given the Torah. That was the Jewish mindset. They were receiving. They were thinking, were grateful the Torah. And they were celebrating leaving the land of Egypt to go to the land of promise. Day 49, they would offer a sheaf of wheat. Except The Bible says, except a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it cannot come again for body belong. I'm telling you, something happened. Isn't it? It's no coincidence that the day of Pentecost, 50 days, 50 days, after, somebody's getting excited right now, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Passover, it wasn't, it wasn't someone coming down from the mountain with, with, with a tablet with commandments, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit that will give you the power to live the commandments. That happened on the day of Pentecost. And the church, the new church was born. What, what, what he brought down from the, from the mountain of God was not the law that would, would bring cursing on your life. But it was the law of liberty in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You want to do some research, man, there's some great. Look up Shabbat, Pentecost, Passover. Man, there's some good stuff in there. If not, I'm, I'm sure, uh, Megan, you got notes on all that, right? <laughs> <laughs> the center of this experience would be the temple. Well, where's the temple? What, where's the temple now? Jesus said he's going to tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days. Did Jesus ever lie? So where's the temple? Well, he said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am with them. I am in the midst, King James says. You know, we glibly quote that verse as some little prayer formula that guarantees we can have the new house we're praying for. But the Jews were shocked when they heard that, and the disciples were confused. Wait a minute, I thought Solomon's temple was where we felt the presence of God. And Jesus said, no, 
I'm going to change the rules. I'm going to change it so that if two people love me, just two, three is even better, <laughs> and they get together, I'm in the midst. Do you sense that the location of the temple is moving? Do you sense, do you think maybe it's moving? Now do you kind of understand why they killed him? You kind of get it now? Why this guy's moving everything. This guy's upsetting our, our world. Then in Acts chapter 7, verse 47, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. Ooh, where does he live then? God's glory had been absent from the Jerusalem temple for years, by the way, and they were just going through the motions. Meanwhile, human beings with hearts bent toward the new lawgiver and the new king were becoming the temples of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Or do you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own, for your body to prize therefore glory God, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Somebody say amen this morning. We have a new king. We have a new lawgiver. And we are the new temple. Amen. We're the new temple. And that is serious stuff. That is serious stuff. That when we gather on a Sunday morning or a Monday morning or a Wednesday night or if we gather with two other believers at the office, the temple, with all its power, with all its importance, with all its tradition, and with all its future prophetic glory is happening. No wonder it's so good. You know, what I like about this sermon and this series, a lot of times I'm preaching to you to, you know, a lot of times preaching is behavioral modification. <laughs> I want to get you to behave differently, so I... I think about it, I wanted, you know, the people are, they're here and I like to see them over here. You know what I love about this series? So much of it is really a pat on the back for you. This is what so many of you in this room are doing. You're acting under the authority of the new king. You're living out the desires of the new lawgiver. And you are acting as the temple of the Holy Spirit. This week, as many of you know, um, my friend and your, many of your friends, Al Landry, went to be with Jesus on, uh, I believe it was Thursday morning, if I get my days right. Um, what what you, many of you don't know is that we have a, he was a part of a small group, and it originally was my group at my house, and Scott Pfeffer and I led it together. And I remember Al came, uh, Al left the church when he was 23 years old and came back to church, this church, when he was 73. He took a break. And um, the first day he came, I know I'm rambling a little bit, sorry. The first time he came, he sat right over there and I had a bed on the stage and I preached a sermon called, If I Make My Bed in Hell, You're There. And as I would later tell me, that's how I felt that I'd made my bed in hell. And that sermon really grabbed him. And he didn't, he didn't like get all transformed right away. It was like 
Several weeks went by, and we had a week of prayer, and he's sitting about three rows back, and I'm walking around praying, and I just felt led of the Holy Spirit to go get him and bring him up and have communion. And these communion stations were set up like this, and I brought him up. And Al had, I knew he had told me that he had this person in his life who had really hurt a member of his family, and he would, could not forgive them. And there were other things, and, and later I would learn there are things he couldn't forgive himself of. And we stood right here, we stood right here, and we, we cried together, and we prayed together, and we took communion together. And that night, he released all of that. He released the unforgiveness toward other people and himself. And he would tell you that's the night that he made his connection with Christ. And uh, so, when he, you know, he had, he, he had been, he'd smoked uh, like three packs a day for like 40, 50 years. So his lungs were, were pretty shot even then. But as he got really sick in the last year, he was a part of this small group that Scott and I started way back. The small group decided so Al could have a group, they would split up. And so like half of the group went to Al's house every week and had small group with him for months and months. This has happened. What, what happened, and Al's got all this family that doesn't come to church, and they saw this. And it just opened the door Thursday night. They're all sitting around the room. We all sitting around Al's bed. And you opened a door for me to share the good news of Christ in such an open way because you have been demonstrating for a year what Jesus is like. You've been the body of Christ. You've been the temple of the Holy Spirit in that house. And you've been going to that house. And, uh, and Carol, uh, Al's wife, had, it actually it was, a, it was an Assemblies of God person. I just learned this week it was an Assemblies of God person who just, told her what an awful person she was for being a Roman Catholic and marrying an Assemblies of God boy and taking him out of the Assemblies of God church and what a horrible thing she had done. And she had lived with this all these years. So for a group of Assemblies of God people to show up in her home and love her and hold her and pray with her for the last seven, eight months has been amazing. And because you're the body of Christ, because you're the temple of God, and because we have replaced, and, and I know this needs qualification, and we'll do it as we get through the series, but we've replaced law with grace. That's a simple way to say it. We've replaced law with grace. Al says to me, Thursday night, I'm there, and he's barely responding. And, and I mean, if he hadn't smoked all those cigarettes, he'd live to be 125, because he had a, such a strong body. But his lungs were no good. So he's laying there on one side, barely able to talk. And I could understand. He, 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 he says to me at one point, I love you. And then he said, I'm ready. I'm ready. And he said that four or five times. I'm ready. That's what the church is. That's what the body of Christ is. There's nothing like it. You know, you know, today, in the world today, we have this political debate going on and really it boils down to two different points of view one point of view of this political debate is economic American nationalism that's really what one side of this debate is now there's all kinds of noise about it but that's what it really is the other side of that debate is um, I would say multicultural environmentally focused globalism it's okay to have your political perspective. Have whichever one you want.
but both of those political perspectives, whichever one wins out in the American culture, whichever wins out is ultimately going to fail because you're still going to die and you're still going to go into eternity. So ultimately, they're both going to fail. Even if we get the Green New Deal and we save the planet, you're still going to die. And you're still going to meet your God someday. So I have made a decision. See, in the end, it's not the party of the elephant or the power party of the donkey that I will bow down to. But it's the party of the lamb that I will bow down to. Amen? Because... I like to choose a winner. And the party of the Lamb is going to restore the world to what God intended for it to be. Amen? I'm with the uh, prayer partners to come right now. The new church is where new people find each other and live out the new life under a new king under a new lawgiver and they function together as the new temple and that's what we're going to be talking about for the next 12 weeks if you would like to start your faith journey today if you would like to join the party of the lamb these prayer partners up here they'll pray a prayer with you that will start that conversation and will start that journey for you so come up here and tell them, listen, I, I've been, maybe I've been caught with one of those other parties, but today I want to join the party of the Lamb. Today I want to start following Jesus. Today I want to join the church today. I want to be added to the church, as the Bible says in Acts chapter 2. Would you come? Also, anything you need, we're, we're here to pray for you. Financial need, relationship needs. We're here to tr- begin to exercise that temple of God status here today. So please come be prayed for. Please receive communion. Let's enter to response time. Make sure, make sure you talk to somebody you don't know today and welcome them. They, they may have just come here looking for somebody who would be Jesus in skin for them. So make sure you let them know.